Hey, and welcome to the Beer and Bible Podcast. I'm Paul. Dan is opening his beer. And we are joined today with a guest again. We're lucky to have guests. Um, yeah, I don't know how we get guests. We ask and they show up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody's like really quiet today, so this will be fun. So I'm Paul, like I said before, Dan's here, and we're here with Danny today. Um, Danny is a graduate of Grace Bible College and uh, author of horror stories. Mm-hmm. Just got published on Amazon in a short story book. I did, yes. So congratulations on that, and you're working on more stuff as well. Yes, understanding. I'm working on my novel right now. So where can people check that kind of stuff out? If they're into horror stories... Well, they can check me out on Facebook, and that's at AJ Horvath Writes. How is that spelled? Spelled? Uh, spelled? AJ Horvath, H O R V as in Victor, A T H, and then writes like I write a book. That makes sense now. And that's on Facebook, and then you're part of short stories on Amazon that just yes. got published. Yes. So that's actually coming out on Kindle on July 1st, um, and that's called The Trees Have Eyes. And it's like over 400 pages of really awesome, really good horror stories. I have a confession to make. I don't like horror stories or horror movies. They scare me. Well, then they do their job. <laughs> they do their job. I don't. Like, maybe I just don't like being scared. There's something fun about it. I'm actually the biggest scaredy cat. And I was. I got a book when I was learning how to write or you know, wanting to learn more about writing well. And uh, the one says, cowards make the best horror authors because they know how it feels to be afraid. So they can. So maybe I should, write, I should write horror stories. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about horror stories today. No. no. Well, we no. are talking oh. about the Bible, and there's some horror stories. There in the are Bible. some horror stories <laughs> in the Bible, true. and the church has been known for some horror stories as well in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, our topic for today is inclusion. Some of the church has been shoddy at for a while. I think mm-hmm. I can say shoddy and still keep our clean rating. So. It was the first problem they had, actually. If you look at the Jerusalem Council, it was yeah. all about inclusion of Gentiles. Should they be in? Should they be out? Mm-hmm. And we're talking beforehand as we're going over some of our notes that the the history of the church has been who's in and who's out and making decisions based on kind of cultural things at the time as well, like Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. And then you, you move on to more modern day times with segregation and you have churches and pastors are preaching out against integration and the church has not ever been on the for has doesn't tend to be on the forefront of things like this they wrestle with it and then they kind of get silent for a while i would argue that the state isn't always on the forefront either though oh no i don't think the state is either no and by state we mean you mean government yeah i would just say people in general have been slow to include people that are different than them. You think it comes out of fear of the other? Fear of somebody who is different? I think so. I think so. Also a fear of losing what you have when you bring more people in, then there's more that you have to kind of divvy things out and figure things out and share things with. Yeah. It disrupts a community, usually in a good way. But some people fear that because, you know, you're someone new, you're someone different, and who knows what you like to do compared to what I like to do. Yeah. And we've talked about inclusion quite often on the podcast, talking about the idea that the family of God, the kingdom of God is all about an inclusive nature, not an exclusive nature. And Dan has been speaking on Wednesday nights on Nehemiah and Ezra and Nehemiah. And um, 
the inclusion there that that is being spoken of as they're trying to rebuild. Yeah, there's during. like dual narratives. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah are in on the one hand backhandedly praising uh, these guys for rebuilding Jerusalem. It's kind of like yes, they're doing it, awesome. But at the same time, there's all these subtle hints that they're somehow missing the point. Like, for example, God's spirit isn't described as re-inhabiting the temple, and the book ends on a huge downer with Nehemiah running around pulling people's hair out, beating them in the streets. So, and that's how it ends. And the book of Ezra ends with a divorce decree going through and them breaking up a bunch of families. So send them out to the wilderness. Yeah. But that's not usually how it's taught in churches. They talk about like how people rallied around this new revival movement and that God was doing big things, reestablishing Israel. But it's actually more of a depressing book than anything. So we don't want to get too depressed today, though. No. No. Okay. Because no. we're talking about inclusion. We're talking about inclusion. We're talking but about. The whole, the other narrative to that is that the prophets are telling them to let these peoples of the surrounding lands into the movement, into mm-hmm. what's happening. And time and time again, they push the outsiders further out rather than include them. So I think we would argue that inclusion isn't only a New Testament thing. Right. The inclusion is a, a God thing. The idea that God is an inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Done. All right, let's drink. No. <laughs> so um, the reason we asked Danny to come on to the podcast today is? It's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. We're wrapping up Pride Month. Yes. And um, Danny is gay. I am. You are? I am. High five. High five. Okay. <laughs> yes. So narrate hand action. Yes. <laughs> yes. And pr- Pride Month is, I mean, I've the church is off. Pride Month can be rough. Yes. Um, especially for people who are in church or part of some faith communities because they get kind of pushed, not want to say pushed to the side, but is it celebrated as much? It's hard. I mean, there are some churches. I mean, the United Church of Christ, I believe, does a very good job at, mm-hmm. at celebrating and, and understanding that this has been a long journey for a a uh, group of people to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Yes. And not only are you gay, but you're in a, you're married. I am married. You're married to a wonderful, to a lovely woman. Woman. Yes. Yes. Scandalous in church. I know it is. It's very scandalous. (laughs) And to make things more scandalous, where did you just graduate from? (laughs) (laughs) Good old GBC. So graduate of Grace Bible College. I think I just say that. Yes. Ultra dispensational. <laughs> yes, yes. So there were some things in my education there that I had to kind of take with a little bit of, a little bit of my good root beer, and uh, but overall it was a good experience. I learned a lot. Um, kind of opened my eyes to some new things, some new thoughts that I didn't think about. Um, so I mean, all in all, it was good. And I just thought of this, but you actually had to practice inclusion by not just boxing them out, saying they're stupid. I don't want to go here. Right. Yeah. There's that the other side of things, because there are some um, in the gay community that will. Oh, you're a Christian. Boom. You're out already. You can't be a part of our friendship because you represent this group of people that has been treated me horribly and doesn't recognize me as a person. So I'm not going to recognize you. So it, it plays on both sides of the, sides of the fence. You mentioned something interesting there where you said that. 
sometimes the church you use the phrase not a human like mm-hmm. it has that happened i mean we're jumping way off our notes already right um, <laughs> but that happens to people i mean yeah i was lucky to not experience it that badly um i had it relatively easy um i was fairly closeted until my brother actually came out before i did okay so there's there's two of us and uh, he kind of got the worst of it, and even that wasn't as bad as it could get. I mean, he wasn't kicked out. He wasn't told he was a horrible human being and, you know, be in, because um, that does happen. Uh, but it can be difficult. I have many friends who, you know, they told their parents and were kicked out and had nowhere to go and, um, you know, been beaten horribly by their parents for, you know, these things, you know, telling them they're horrible abominations and, you know, they don't deserve to live. And, you know, that can put a really big scar on, you know. Can, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it, it can. I think it can. A little it one, does, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Band-Aid doesn't really fix that kind of wound. It takes quite a, a bit of, uh, quite a bit of care. Like uh, when you think if someone gets a very large wound, there's a lot of care that has to go into that. You know, you have to pack the wound and clean it and continue to work on it over and over. And you build that kind of, those layers of healing as you go through. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what, is happening um one of the things that we kind of found in our search is that churches are um starting to kind of come along in regards to you know inclusion uh when it comes to uh being accepting of homosexuality so some big churches that have made some jumps uh include uh you know like the presbyterian church um, United Church of Christ, which we talked about, uh, and uh, United Methodist Church, of course, is one that's very, um, very big, uh, which is nice because that's actually the church type of church I grew up in was a United Methodist Church. So it's good to see that shifting. Um, but yeah, so it, it's changing. The trend is changing, but it's not happening as quickly as a lot of people would like, I think. And it's taking more time. Uh, to kind of heal those wounds and and kind of push through the barriers that a lot of gay people build because they don't want to get hurt again. So it's, it's a worthy pursuit to befriend someone and don't just befriend them because they are gay, but you know, befriend them because, you know, we're all creations of God and we see God in everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, your, your gender, your religion, your, um, you know, your skin color, none of that should matter because ultimately, you know, we're all the same. We're all in the image of God. So that's kind of my big thing when I start to get upset about seeing someone post something, especially in this very political time, I see someone post something and I have to think, okay, I don't like this. However, you know, I have to take that step back and say, and that goes back to what Dan was saying. It's not only a church thing, it's a it's a political thing as well as become mm-hmm. and a cultural cultural thing. yes and one of the interesting things i mean we we have points ahead of us and we're jumping to point 10 to start off with mm-hmm. and point 10 is basically the word homosexual mm-hmm. never appears in any biblical manuscript as it was uh, it was coined was it 19th century the actual the actual term mm-hmm. and but the, the the bibles that we do have in front of us use that phrase every now and then it's just that reminder of going back to these are translated documents. Well, a lot of people will shut the podcast off the moment we say we're talking about inclusion because yeah. they say, well, my Bible says very clearly that it's an abomination. Mm-hmm. Or, and 
you know, they'll cite the three verses on it and case closed in their minds. But hopefully you are still listening and hopefully um, whether we change your mind or not, hopefully you'll see that the discussion is more nuanced and it's broader, it's bigger. There's more questions to be asked. Um, The context that you're given um, can say a lot about the passages that you've used as a club (laughs) for so long. Um, So it's definitely something that we hope to tear open today. Go ahead with um, Danny did an awesome job on the notes this week. Yeah, I never put much in the notes. It's always Dan, and now well, Danny did it all this time. It was great. Well, I get the I get the note sheet from these gentlemen, and they say, "Yeah, here's the notes." And it's blank, <laughs> and I'm like, "Did you send me the wrong notes?" And they're like, "Oh no, just add to it." So I did, <laughs> but they're giving me more credit than necessary. I did a lot of research on some articles, and uh, there's a lot of great resources out there, such as uh, GayChurch.org. Uh, Pathios does some really good blogs in regards to it. Um, and then, of course, the information in regards to um, the change in regards to churches accepting homosexuality that was uh, done through Pew Research Center. So there's a lot of resources out there if you want to find out more about how to include and, you know, some of the things. I like how Dan used the idea of um, using them as a club because many people refer to those verses as the clobber verses. Um, they're the verses that you use to just anybody pops up and says, oh, but and they're like, nope, boom. Yeah. So, you know, they clobber them down with those those passages. So, um, yeah. Go ahead and like in point 10 on our notes, you had um, used the Greek word for homosexual. And you talk about how it doesn't seem to appear in any other ancient writings. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and. Expound on some of that. Oh, wow. Your thoughts there. Well, I think that's important to to point out is there's the Bible, which you guys have talked about before. I mean, it's a translation. You know, it's handed down through verbal, and then finally writing, and then we take those writings, and then we translate them out, and then of course we have all these different versions um, that some churches swear by this one, some want you know another, um, and so. In the Revised Standard Version in 1946, that's when they first coined the term homosexual. So it didn't even come out until mid-1940s. I'm going to butcher the Greek word um, for homosexual, which is, uh, I think it's arsenokoitai, something like that. Um, But they only think that um, it was only used by Paul And really what that word means, like in the original Greek, is male bed. Um, So when we talk about looking at context, we're saying, okay, well, why would he use this kind of strange, obscure word? Um, And no one really knows. (laughs) So um, there are other words, and and this is from the article, there are other words that he could have used to denote that kind of same-sex love, but he doesn't use those. So he could have used a very straightforward, direct way of saying what he wanted to say and instead of just using kind of the obscure male bed. Um, so I think uh, that's one thing to point out because, I mean, Paul has a way with words. So um, he really, I think he knows how, for the most part, to kind of get to the point of things. And mm-hmm. I think that 
for him intentionally to use some strange, obscure word to hint at this idea is kind of just kind of off the mark. The uh, passage in Romans, I taught on this a few weeks ago, but <clears throat> the passage on, where he forbids homosexuality in Romans is, I believe, the one that you're referencing with this word. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the context that we don't see is that Nero, who's the emperor at that time, uh, just decided one day to take one of these young male servants of his and castrate him and turn him into his wife. And we're not told that the child had any say in the matter. And from there, obviously, people were shocked and appalled or thought it was a little sadistic to take one of your slaves and do that to them, first of all. But I think it presents a context in which that situation is not mutual. It's not love. It's a crazy emperor um, publicity stunt or something. It's something it's other. adult castrating yeah. a kid for their own yeah. pleasure. I mean, frowned upon everywhere. Yeah, universally <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Yes. So that that provides some context here. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, the emperors in Rome. Um, the dates line up pretty closely plus or minus a year. So, you know, did the cart come before the horse? Eh, I don't know. But, I mean, it's all there for that to be the backdrop for what Paul is saying. And the, the original readers of Romans would probably have known what the uh, what was happening during that time. Yeah. We're, rem- we're removed from the context of when they, were, they originally received the letter. Yeah, I mean, Rome is a it was a large city, but it was one of those cities where the emperors would throw parties so everybody knew the the emperor was and all you got to do is study like Julius Caesar or some of the other emperors they were a public figure that was well known and well observed within the people of mm-hmm. Rome so and there was a lot of criticism from the pagans about what he did too not just the christians um a lot of his own court and his own generals thought that what he did to the young boy was also disgusting so it was kind of universally frowned upon Paul adding his comments to it is like yeah exactly the church should be against that yeah so going on we, 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 we jump, we're jumping around our notes again and one of the, one, the, the passage that comes up quite often when it comes to pastors from the pulpits or anybody else condemning homosexuality using the bible is Sodom and Gomorrah that is the like the go-to, well, look what happened here. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, we did our podcast recently on Abraham, and we, we kind of touched a, a little bit on it. We didn't mm-hmm. dive right into um, everything that went in there. We didn't go into Ezekiel uh, 16 that much either. But, I mean, having grown up in the church and grown up going to um, Christian high schools and Christian colleges, you always get that, well, this is wrong, and you don't have to look any further than Genesis chapter 19. And if, if look at that. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. because of what? And everybody's usual answer is homosexuality. And it's kind of like, uh, you, you sit there and you like listen to the pastor or teacher and you like just take it for what it is. And then coming back, being more, I don't know, 
older. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word or or just going back and reading through it and then comparing scripture to scripture and looking at Ezekiel 16 and what um, Ezekiel defines their sins as. It, it's completely different. It's more in line with like nation building <laughs> that they were destroyed almost because the story goes that these two good looking men being angels or messengers from God show up and Lot's like, oh, no, don't rape them. Here's my daughters. And somehow we... Because that's so righteous. Yeah, that's more righteous. Like, oh, no, yeah. I have my virgin daughters instead of harassing these men. Um, I don't think any parent in their right mind should do anything like that. But... Well, once again, that's also not talking about gay love. That's talking about gang rape. Once again, universally frowned upon. Um, Yes. Yeah, gang rape. Frowned upon. Non-consensual relationships frowned upon. upon. Um, and, and to use that scripture to condemn mutual love between two people is stretching it. Yeah. I mean, that is stretching it beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Because you're now imposing this word that they put in, that they used in the translations, like you said, since 1946 and saying... Well, now look over here. This is what they're talking about here. This is this is homosexuality, and and it's like no, this is like you said, it's gang rape. Mm-hmm. The passage in Ezekiel that you reference is in Ezekiel sixteen, and it's talking about Israel, mm-hmm. and Israel's just getting a verbal spanking from God. <laughs> um, they've screwed up. It's one of the most gut wrenching passages in the book of Ezekiel, and he goes through and he's criticizing all of these things about the kingdoms and nation building that Israel has been doing, um, the corruption of their kings, the disparity of wealth. And it gets to this point where it says, okay, let me put it to you this way. Your sin is the same as that of your sister, Sodom, who had prosperous wealth, uh, ease of living, uh, and did not care for their poor or the foreigner. And so that point is made as like a point in a case being built against Israel. Yeah. And so it could have very easily read, um, well, since you didn't do that dirty thing that the Sodomites did, you know, we won't compare you. No, the the sin of Sodom is their nation building, their disparity of wealth. The fact that they didn't treat a foreigner as well, clearly. Yeah. Well, I talked about political statement. <laughs> so all of that's there. That's that's the sin mm-hmm. of Israel. That's the sin of nations pretty much everywhere is you get to a certain size and generally you do some nation building of your own. And and the wealth gets kept yeah. to the to a small group of people. Yeah. You don't start taking care of the poor. And God's telling Israel, this is what you're doing. You're going down the wrong path. Yep. But people hammer on the clobber passages, like Danny said earlier. Well, just remember Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you, even when you bring this up to people, like, hey, well, read Ezekiel 16. Go ahead and just read through that. Oh, well, you know, you got to go back to... No, it's... And I think coming from um, somebody who has never really experienced exclusion... It's a very hard thing to to kind of portray to people. What does it look like to be excluded? Exclusion looks like, hey, you're welcome in our church if you change your ways. 
or you know what, you're welcome in our church if you do this and that. And the, the, as being, I mean, if I grow my beard out a little bit more, I might, I might find some more um, exclusion. But the, the whole idea of the church and inclusion and the scripture and inclusion, you have this common theme throughout scripture. The common narrative throughout scripture is God is being inclusive to all people, whether their race, their gender, whatever. There's this inclusion that's going on. And then we get hold of the text and we're like, well, yeah, the inclusion is also great because it includes me. But now I want to exclude everybody else. And you go through segregation in in United States and in um, other countries. I think of like South Africa and stuff like that. And you can you can look at sermons that they backed up segregation. You use ham. You use all these things. And I'm not saying that they're 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 exactly the same, but this idea that the church has to get this viewpoint of the inclusion of God. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that might register with a larger population of not only our listeners but people in churches is there are many churches that would exclude you from leadership if you've been divorced. Yeah. And what do you do? You don't say, well, that person's no longer a Christian. They just go to a different church. Yeah. You know, and it's not like their soul's in danger of the fires of hell. You know, that's like an inclusion exclusion that the church is like, yeah, we have a policy here and you're just excluded. You know, no hard feelings, you know, and I feel like I've met several of those people that have changed churches and they don't they don't feel as if that church was right because they use the Bible to clobber them. Yeah. And I would agree with them. And I mean, that's, that's, what's hard is like in a world where everybody wants to set themselves apart and say, well, we are the true church because we do X, Y, and Z. It makes for a hostile environment where there's always going to be excluded people. If that's your goal is to be exclusive. Yeah. And then you go, um, people use, so you have the Sodom and Gomorrah one, mm-hmm. which Ezekiel debunks himself. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the Old Testament law. Yeah. And that, that's, that, that's a big one because I've had casual debates with people where they're like, well, the law states that you shall not lie with a man like you lie with a woman and all these things. And then you, well, what about the purity laws about um, shellfish and stuff like that? Like. Or mixed. sending your wife out to a tent yeah, when like, she's on her menstrual yeah, cycle. Yeah, I mean, if I did that, I think my wife would probably kill me. Well, not really kill me, but... Um, you just have to build a really nice yurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there's this idea that we, we cherry-pick. And we mm-hmm. cherry-pick because it, 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 it is easier for us to exclude than it is p- to, to include when there are people who we consider the other. But there's also been a history of, and I'm, I'll use this word anyway, of demonizing people who are gay. Of, and the church has done it before where we're going to pray it away. We're going to put holy water on you and you will be healed. And it's seen as an ailment instead of who somebody is. And that's where the danger comes is the inclusion isn't saying well, we're okay with you. You can come here anyway. Um, but just keep it hush-hush. Inclusion is saying you're made in the image of God and you are who you are. And that's okay. And that's right. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I, t- I was talking with a friend about the whole Leviticus thing and you always bring, people bring up, well, shellfish. 
which we start going back and forth about different things, but then we, we have this understanding that who completes the law? Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. So we can eat shellfish, right? Is that, I mean, you never hear a sermon like that, do you? Like the pastor gets up. <laughs> the pastor gets up and says, Christ fulfilled the law. Now we're going to the Chinese buffet because we can have shellfish. <laughs> no, but they might have ham during their potluck. Ooh, risque. <laughs> I think all the clobber passages are just that. It's somebody got bored, decided to read a few words because they did a word study, which is, please, if you're studying the Bible, never do a word study. That's like a huge pet peeve of mine. Um, and people, you know, promote software that's based on doing word studies. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's not how you read the Bible. You read it in large chunks to gain context. But anyway, people do a word study. They want to find out or they ask Google, um, is homosexuality a sin? And they will find plenty. Um, you will, if you're listening to this and you've already done that, then you will find plenty of the verses that you want to back up your point. If all you read is just those verses, yeah. And especially because you're reading them in the English language. But you had a couple more that were really interesting to me, where you got into the Greek a little bit. And it was uh, Dan's nerding out on Greek now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there was the uh, point nine, the cultural on the temple worship, but then also uh, point 11 is interesting to me. Oh, yes. That, I found this one interesting as well. So um, the word um, that's translated for effeminate in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is, uh, and again, I'll probably say this wrong, malakoi, which means soft. So usually it's used elsewhere in scripture. You'll see it used when they're talking about soft clothing. Um, and so in the context where he's talking and using this word in, in first Corinthians, he's um, translating that word in a way to mean like soft morals or people who are not standing up for things they are lacking courage. Um, so he's stating that being effeminate is just kind of, it's a contradiction to what the equality of men and women you know, having Christ. Um, so I, I found that interesting as well, because you'll see these, when you kind of translate it out, you see how they might've said, Oh, well, I don't want to use it this way. This will, this will kind of sell a little better. This will get the point across. So yeah. we'll kind of switch it up a little bit. And cause yeah, that effeminate has kind of become a not so good word for whatever reason. I don't know, but yeah, I think when you look at that context of he's using it to tell you you're you're gritting soft, you're no longer standing strong in your faith and your morals and what you believe in. We he's trying to get them to to go back on that and say, okay, I need to stand firm, um, as opposed to being effeminate uh, in regards to what I believe. So I yeah, I really thought that was interesting as well. And you said um, this the same word is used in Matthew eleven eight. Yes, to talk 8. about us. Clothing. Yes. To not soft yes. clothing. Yeah. It's not that you don't look at clothing. Well, that's homosexual clothing. I mean, you don't do that. I mean, yeah. and, but that's what's happened in the translations over time. Yes. Um, and some of them, I mean, the ESV that we have in front of us, it uses the word sexually immoral. Um, but I think in our Christian culture, whenever we see sexual immorality, we jump. Immediately jump. We immediately jump to homosexuality. Well, this is the verse used because people will say, even though 
you know, we're not under the old law. Paul condemns it here in 1 Corinthians, which is the passage we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But that reads, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, which we or incorrectly read that as heaven and our eternal salvation? Yeah. Um, He's talking about the kingdom of God, which you should listen to podcasts one and two for our new creation uh, talks. But anyway... Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So no car salesman (laughs) (laughs) will make it into. (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, that's the passage where somebody would turn to this page and say, well, very clearly it says here, anybody who practices homosexuality. Only men. Well, yeah, specifically yeah, men. Good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but like Danny said, it's a passage talking about like the having becoming soft, having a soft way about you in a time where the church needs to be like almost violently expanding, not with violence, but it needs to be just a Multiply rapid expanse. Yeah, yeah, explosive multiplication. Um there was there was no time because otherwise he could have easily lumped it in with the sexually immoral. Yeah. But no, there was there's a difference. So I want to provide some of the scripture backdrop for some of the comments we're making because I think people are like, no, I've read very clearly before that it says that. But and then you also have the cultural context of what, um, like when they conquered other nations and to embarrass them and to, and to demean them soldiers used to unfortunately mm-hmm. rape other soldiers mm-hmm. and put to put, to show their dominion over used somebody. To. They still, we still do. We still they do. found that that Guantanamo. was happening. Yeah. Oh Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. That, that was, uh, um, so we don't want to use classified. Yeah, it still happens, and it's this yeah. idea of dominion over somebody, and and too quickly we jump from something that's consensual to something that is non-consensual, mm-hmm. and we would all argue that even if it's between a male and a female, and there was non-consensual relations, that's frowned upon. People go to jail for that, hopefully, and or they or they get elected to be president. I'm just going to pause for a moment while we take that all in. <laughs> yes, we thoroughly agree on that one. Yes. <laughs> if you want to be a president, anyway. <laughs> and there's, I think that's where the, the church has, been, has demonized homosexuality, homosexual love, we can put it that way, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've taken and said, all of it is evil. Where I, th- I feel like Paul and the church condemns more of the non-consensual dominating to show superiority over somebody. And I mean, it happened in mentorship in, in the Middle East and still does happen where a man will take a young boy as his mentor or his mentee and they show dominion over them. Yeah. It was really popular in the Greek culture. It was one way to rise to power if you were a nobody. Cause I've read a lot of Plato and he talks a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's reciprocated, but it's usually more reciprocated in the hopes that by having this wealthy scholar or philosopher 
come on to you that you will find a better place in society yeah. in, a, in a place where there's vast disparity of wealth. So again, how mutual is that? Well, I mean, it's on both sides of the fence that that happens. I mean, there yeah. are, I mean, there are some in the gay community that that's what they like to do that. I'm going to get my sugar daddy. They'll keep your rating still, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and they will, uh, you know, they'll do that thing, but it's uh, both sides do it. I mean, People who are gay and married, they get divorced. People who are straight, they get divorced. It, I mean, my marriage is not as exciting as someone might think. You know, I still get in trouble if I drink out of the milk carton or, you know, do something like that. It's not, it's, it's surprising how, if you've not met someone or been involved, for you to think, like, there's just this crazy thing going on at home. No, it's pretty much exactly the same as you. So what you're saying is you guys have the same disagreements that my wife and I have. <sighs> Probably. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. She cooks it's, good dinner, so. It, it's marriage. Yes, it's marriage. It's marriage. Marriage isn't easy. It is not easy. And then, it's I mean, worth it, though. It's it, worth it. My, it. my wife is listening. It is worth yes. it. Yes. Yes, Erica. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think it's easy because uh, it, we have been demonizing it for any time we see something bad in the media or that's happened. And it's someone who is gay or lesbian. We immediately, well, see, I told you so. Well, the same time, someone who is straight might have done the exact same thing. Um, But we still say it's wrong, but we're not giving that constant emphasis of, see, this is all how they all are. Yeah. Um, And so I think I've seen a lot is if someone's not been around uh, someone who's gay or lesbian um, and they find someone close to them who is, they're shocked. I, I couldn't tell. Like, how could, how was I supposed to know? Well, yeah. it's because we are pretty much the same as you. We just love someone of the same gender. And, and full disclosure, I mean, this has been a journey for myself. This has been growing up in a very conservative Christian high school and college and all that, that it, this was what was taught. And I believed and am as guilty as others for preaching, preaching the hatred and condemnation from the pulpit in the past. Mm-hmm. And it, there, there's this journey. So I don't want people to listen to a, the podcast like this. I don't expect people's minds to be changed right away. There's this journey and this, and it's not, I'm not saying it's a journey of finding out that people who are gay are Christian and fine and okay. No, I, for me, it's been more of a journey of understanding more of who God is and God's narrative mm-hmm. of inclusion. It's not unvilifying something that God does condemn is understanding that there isn't that condemnation there in the first place. Right. And I think that's vitally important. It's not, because I've, I've had people tell me, or people say, well, you love the sinner and hate the sin. And that's that's where some people stand on it. Well, we'll just be okay with it. And that's that's not the right perspective. Because that is saying who you are is wrong. And who God has created you to be is wrong. And hopefully nobody will ever look at me and say that about me or you anybody do like else. State, so. I, pardon? I you do, do like, like Michigan State. state so. so there's some things. So going back to scripture, I mean, that, I mean, this is where we want to really kind of keep it because I don't think emotional arguments are necessarily, they, they work for a certain period of time, but mm-hmm. people go back to these scriptures, like you said, these clobber statements. And, um, uh, Dan, you highlighted one of them quickly. I forgot four. Mm. 
Well, that was the sin of Sodom okay. in Genesis 19, which we talked about. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I, because I would agree, I've also been on a journey. Like, I grew up um, never judging or hating um, or even knowing exactly how to deal with the difference in genders. I think that's important, not knowing yeah. how to deal with it as yeah. well. Well, and it was across the board. Like, I also didn't know how to deal with the woman gender passages in the Bible where they're not allowed to teach or they're not allowed to... Like, there's there's more gender stuff than just the homosexual part mm-hmm. that I did not know how to deal with, and so I just did what's easy is took it literally and ignored the rest. <laughs> but um, one of the discussions that really opened it up for me and made me kind of tilt my head and think, okay... I've just been kind of closed-minded about this, was the argument about the eunuchs, that there's, um, in the Jewish community, the way they describe a eunuch could be almost fourfold. And so you had these different uh, genders within a gender, because one thing that's often left out about this whole discussion is what about hermaphrodites that are born with both um, male and female? Yeah. Um, they're born with it. So, and not just born with a gene, but born with multiple body parts. Yeah. Some people may not even know that that can happen. It but happens. It happens. And then traditionally what the church has done is it said, well, you look slightly masculine, therefore you're a man. And it's, I don't think that that's right. Yeah. And it made me really begin to, well, what's the good news for hermaphrodites? That was the question that like got lodged in my brain is if you're born with both sets of genitalia, what's the good news for you? You know, what does the Bible have to say about you? And there's lots of passages about eunuchs in the Old Testament. They're generally unfavorable until a passage in Isaiah. Um, and there's another one as well, but definitely in Isaiah, there's a passage promising that they will be made a great people if they join themselves to the Lord. And then there's also, uh, in the New Testament, there's the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip ministers to. God He's sends baptized. him on a special mission. Yeah. yeah, God sends him on a special mission, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's also other points and uh, passages along the way. But the whole, like, multiple different interpretations of what a eunuch was really opened my mind to, okay, that's just one portion of this that kind of just blew open the discussion for me and made it not just so easy to pin down, well, male and female, because there's also male-female. Yeah. (laughs) Like, literally, Mm -hmm. and God made them too. Yeah. Just as God made everybody. And so then it just, it blurred enough lines for me to say, I can't take a hard stance on this. I know what the Bible says, or at least I know what I've read, but it made it very difficult for me to ever pick up the club again. Yeah. Like after knowing that, because I grew up in a church that was very anti, very, very anti-gay. And also, um, I grew up hearing about it a lot because I have family members that are gay. And so it was a discussion uh, around tables after family gatherings and stuff. You know, there was concerns and 
I never knew what to do with that because they were some of my favorite people in my family. <laughs> um, so it was hard. And so wrestling through all that stuff, I came to a point where as a biblical scholar, I can see different points where certain people probably believed that it, whatever was taking place at that time was wrong or unnatural. But they also believed a lot of other things were wrong or unnatural. And what I find through Christ and through the New Testament is that there's no longer slave, free, Jew, Greek, male, female, all are one in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Verses like that just kind of made me open my mind, I think, a little bit. So for people who are listening, this is a journey that people are on. It's not mm -hmm. a... And I think it's a journey that church needs to be embarking on because mm -hmm. the church has done great damage. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking church, we're talking about the church universal has done great damage. When you, when you look at somebody and tell them that the essence of who they are is wrong, that does great damage that goes to pay lots of therapists' bills. Um, and... I mean, you have the whole movement inside of some set, some wings of Christianity of pray the gay away or the Exodus movement. And uh, you, you, you hear of people who who come to the church and are gay and then they, they marry the opposite gender because they're forced to. And they're told this will make you whole again. And this is what God wants. And I've, some of this, I think, is rooted in the fact that the church doesn't know how to deal with humanity at, at, its, at its whole as well and and the inclusion of people that they are I don't want to say scared of but don't fully understand um, and I think that goes across cultures in general you go to a different place of different people you don't understand why they do what they do and how they do what they do and and I think we trivialize it more because we don't deal with it we don't face the I'm not baking you a cake <laughs> we don't face the well we're not going to take your photographs or I'm not going to serve you here we don't um, and I'm hopeful that the church churches that I'm involved with as well never get to the point where we're not inclusive because you're you're turning down the image of God for something and then we had awkward silence. Well, I think one of the good things is because it is scary. I mean, just like, you know, anything, you know, you're a little kid and you're going, you're at the edge of the pool and you're like, I don't know about this. You have to take that jump. Um, the good thing is, is just like you have floaties when you're a little kid, there are all sorts of support groups there. And they're not just support groups for LGBT people that want to get back into the church and, and, and kind of express their, their religious faith. Um, there's also groups available for those who want to know how to love their LGBT members, yeah. uh, brothers and sisters, but they are scared. They don't want to ask the wrong question. They don't want to say the wrong thing. And most people, I will say, are okay with questions. I always tell people, you can ask me a question. If you're coming with you know, genuine interest and you really want, you're wanting to just know, I'll answer the question. I'll let you know if it's an appropriate question you should ask other people, people next time around. Uh, but I'll answer it because I don't want people to be scared around me. So I want to give them that opportunity. And there are a lot of people that are like that. 
So, I mean, you might run into a few who have been wounded quite deeply by the church and you might have a poor experience with them. But I think the vast majority of people are fairly open to kind of that that exchange. Um, like building bridges. Um, building bridges. Yeah. And, and so there's a, a, a great um, group online. Uh, I believe it's her name is Susan Cottrell. It's called Freed Hearts. And it's a mother whose child came out to her and now she helps teach parents how to approach their, their the a situation where a child comes out to them in a way where they're accepting and loving and still how do I handle my Christian faith while I you know I'm going through this these motions and and learning and figuring things out um, so there's so many resources for that so just because it's new and scary doesn't mean it has to be completely and I think a lot I mean my personal journey on this I and other, I think other people I've spoken to is people take a very hard stance against it until it's somebody that they know. Until there is a human that they care about that all of a sudden comes out. And then all of a sudden, there's this, this mind change of, well, okay, you don't typify all those things that I've been told about those other people. And... That, I think that's where, where one of my journeys started is the under of, of people in my family and, and friends who are gay and saying, well, this whole demon not demonizing that I've been told of, spoken of, Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't kind of fit that. I'm sorry. No. You're, you're not like um, destroying nations no. and oppressing the poor. And Dan just grabbed a Bible. I grabbed the pastor's Bible. Ooh, that was a gift. <clears throat> You know, what's funny, not to poke fun at us because this is the Beer and Bibles podcast, but there's a lot of people included. Um, and that's, again, where the context is important. Somebody wants you to ignore all of the other descriptions in favor of the word homosexuality when you read a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9. Um it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, um, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the very next verse is, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, do you think that nobody that he's writing to or speaking to will ever show any signs of greed? No. He He's saying, like, these were labels that you had. No more. Yeah. And that's the flip side of a lot of these passages is sometimes you just read the next, the very next passage and it provides a little more, at least it makes it harder to take it so at face value. Um, plus, there's a lot of people that steal in small, petty ways um, by evading taxes. By um, Why did he mention the president? <laughs> that one wasn't a dig at the president. That was just, that was just fun. Um, nor adulterers. And if we take Jesus' description of what adultery is, that pertains to a lot of people. Yeah. So why do why does this verse suddenly become the homosexuality verse that's unfair yeah 
it's unjust to do that to the text, for one thing. It's bad Bible reading. But it's also just, why? Like, what is it in you that wants so badly to highlight that and ignore the others? Is it maybe because that's the one that clearly doesn't apply to you? And so by highlighting that one, you can feel like, oh, good. I'm well, fine. Yeah. yeah, I'll inherit the kingdom because I didn't do that one thing on the list. <laughs> it's really screwed up. Like, psychologically, I think we have to check ourselves because there's some damage in the people that are truly afraid. I know, like, the phrase homophobe is usually not well received because people say, I'm not afraid of them. I just think it's wrong or I believe it's wrong. Yeah. But there is something there. If you're not treating everything on that list equally then you're reading it wrong, for one thing. Yeah. Um, and that's just for people who take yeah. it literally as well. And like yeah. Danny had said before, that, that the Greek word there is for the effeminate as well. I mean, yeah. we've, we've translated, we've imposed our belief system into the translation. Yeah. And the idea of, cons- and I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of this, so I'm just going to throw this one out there. Uh, when, when did the idea oh, of consensual gay relationships come to the forefront. I mean, we see throughout the scriptures there's some allusions, some people will argue for David and Jonathan, we don't want to jump down that rabbit hole necessarily today but this this whole when did it what culturally when did it become this understanding that there is mutual love between people of the same gender and is not vilified? Um, ancient Greece. Yeah. Like 400 years before Christ there were um, mutually beneficial relationships between usually older men and younger boys. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those men also had wives because they also had sons. And so that would be the earliest evidence of mutually beneficial relationships. But it's also multiple partners. So you get into like this, that's not a monogamous relationship. We could talk about monogamy another day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. One thing at a time. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it's the church doing disservice using these clobber passages mm-hmm. to condemn things. Because I think the times that I have used these and preached it has been from the standpoint of, I'm not like this, therefore I'm better and okay. And it comes from, the, again, a dominion and superior viewpoint. I don't deal with this, so Mm -hmm. I'm better. And that's where the church... We love to rank things. So this is the worst sin, so I'm not that, so we're going to talk about that and we're not going to talk about what I'm doing. You know, maybe I'm a swindler or Uh you know, I'm not going to... Car salesman. Yeah. (laughs) So... But how is it... And maybe this is because I'm on my third beer. Um, (laughs) Hey, you don't... You're not partaking as much today, Dan. You're lightweight. Um, yeah. How is it to hear that your identity is condemned from a religious perspective? I think for me, it's I've grown up in it, so I've not known anything different than that. Yeah. So I've just kind of learned it. It's kind of like white noise in the background to me now. Um, you know, for the longest time, I was like well, guys are with girls and girls are with guys and that's how it is. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go along and play my part and do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
cultures change and there's all, you know, you start seeing things happening and you're like, what? A girl can be with a girl? What? what? I like that idea. Yeah. You know, and so that kind of evolves and changes. And um, I took a step away from the church for a good five, six years because I was like, I can't stop being who I am. I either need to be happy and be who I am, or I need to continue to just go through these motions and not really be doing anything that's of any benefit to anyone. I'm not fully engaged in the church. I'm not doing anything that's really helping anyone. I'm just sad and bored all the time. <laughs> so as a woman who graduated from Grace Bible College. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's hard for me, because again, like I'm on a journey with it and I didn't even really... I didn't know how to put words to any of this until maybe two years ago. Before that, it was easier to just not speak out against it, but not advocate for it. And that's the hardest point because you can be a Christian that's silent about it. And people will just assume that because you're a Christian in an evangelical church that you must be against it. And it's just safe. Like, everybody just presumes that you're um, as anti-gay as any other Christian. But speaking out against it has really ruffled feathers. And it's been something that I probably haven't done as often as I felt like I needed to. Um, But at the same time, I have started taking some of those steps. And I know that by saying even, like, this podcast will probably get the most listens of our podcast because the minute we say it's about inclusion, all the haters are going to come out and, and not just haters, but also very well-intentioned, well-read people. And I think that's what's hard about it for me is there's going to be some very, very intelligent, well-read people that read Greek that are going to say you're wrong about the way that you read this or that you talked about on the podcast. And that's a very possible reality. we have smart people that listen to us and stuff like that makes me nervous, but I can't let my own nervousness of being excluded prevent me from being an advocate for those whose voice is stifled within the church. Yeah. And that's what I've really realized like the last year or so is that just being okay with it isn't enough to actually advocate for. And I think we're not in the Bible belts necessarily but michigan mm. is kind of it's like new the buckle. jerusalem 2.0 no don't talk about new jerusalem that's another podcast <laughs> <laughs> but this this there is i think a fear within the church for those I, I think there's a silent group and maybe even a silent majority of people inside the church who have wrestled with this to the point where they understand that god makes people and creates people for who they are and that's great that is, and they are good, and there's no need to change that individual to be something that they're not. But there's that fear of if I speak out in favor of inclusivity, that I could lose friends, I could lose family members, not like they would stop talking to me, excommunicated, and that fear is not a valid reason not to do the right thing. It is something we use, Mm -hmm. but there are people in the gay community who have lived that excommunication and that being pushed out by family 
And for us who are generally able to walk into any church that we want to and be accepted, I can walk into a church holding my wife's hand, no questions asked, and be okay. But there are there are churches where two women or two men can walk into a church holding hands, and my gosh, that's gonna people are gonna be they're fainting. Fainting, yeah, I know you're fainting. They're questioning what's going on, what's 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 really happening here, and the silence is can be as deafening as the hatred almost. And that's the point I have to I've come to is the silence is is almost worse. Because if I believe that God created Danny as she is, and I do believe that, as for who she is and, and every every passion that she has, and I'm silent on that, I'm doing disservice. I'm doing more harm than good. And that's a grab my beer. That's why that's why we do this podcast, to be honest. I mean, we've we've wrestled and talked about different things specific when it comes to new kingdom um, kingdom of heaven and politics and stuff like that but this is the lives of real people that we're dealing with mm-hmm. here this is the lives of people who are told hey god hates you mm-hmm. and if we're to represent god here on earth uh-uh. mm-hmm. no, god does not hate you and we often poke at president trump because he makes it so easy <laughs> and because there are an inconvenient amount of Bible passages that refute everything that he does. Um, but neither of us, as the podcast show host, I'm speaking for Paul and I, neither of us are political in regards no, to voting. I can't um, vote. Paul can't vote because he's a citizen of the Tea Party over in England. England. Yep. He, he's taxing us for our tea. And I elect not to vote, um, not because um, I want to dishonor soldiers that have died for our freedoms, but just because I I find that it is unhelpful for me to invest myself in this kingdom, in this country's government, when there is a kingdom of God emerging all around us at every time, that I'd rather invest my time of studying, because it I would never be able to just th- casually throw my vote to whatever party um, my family has always voted for. I would have to study and to invest time in politicians that are so uh, <laughs> so two-dimensional. <laughs> um, it would just I would rather study um, something interesting. Yeah. So for multiple reasons, I don't vote. So we might poke fun, but we are not a political podcast. I mean. It is political. The Bible's political. And I think this whole discussion of inclusion has, has become political right. for some reason. Well, and that's why I brought it up, too. I don't want this to just be seen as, well, they're just a liberal podcast, yeah. and they're always going to take sides of... Because neither of us votes. Yeah. Because I can't. <laughs> if I could. Not, not you story. would. You probably would. I would. <laughs> yeah. I won't tell you which way I lean. But, but no, I, I wonder why... And I think it's because of the church that the LGBTQ issues have become political. Yep. It's because the movement of the church, you talk about prohibition, prohibition was born out of the church's disdain for drinking as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the marriage debate has come out of the church and has become politicized 
by both sides, not just one side. I mean, if we're going to be fair, both sides use it to garner votes where it is legal now. Your marriage is recognized by the government. I have a paper. I have a paper. We actually, Erica carries it in her purse everywhere we go because people don't believe that. So uh, I had a medical emergency and I was in the ICU and she showed up. And they're like, who are you? She's like, I'm her wife. And she's like, do you need to see this? Like, what? they just did not want to believe. So, I mean, anyone, like if any other female could accompany Paul and you could say, this is my wife, and they're not going to give it a second yeah. thought. But with us, we have to carry it with us because there's there's moments in time where it's necessary. You actually have to prove that mm-hmm. you're married. Yeah. And that's in a medical emergency where she's looking yes. out for your best interests they're looking at her saying, well, you sure it's not Eric? Yeah. Well, I actually, on my, uh, one time I had some lady, she was filling out his paper, I go, Erica, and she's like, oh, so Eric? And I'm like, no, Erica with an A. She's like, oh, oh. And then she just went on. So <laughs> there's some people that they just like, they assume one way just because that's how they're naturally doing it. And they're not doing yeah. it out of any spite. It's yeah. just, this is what normally happens. But then there's some that intentionally will say things a certain way or do things a certain way to cause harm. So, for example, one area that doesn't get a lot of focus on is the transgender community. But when they transition, they have their name. And, you know, it might have been their birth name was Kristen, and they, you know, transitioned to a male, and their name is now Tristan. And intentionally using Kristen every time you talk to them, People use that as a little jab, just a little way to hurt them. Yeah. Instead of saying, I understand what you're going through. I, I, I'm trying to understand what you're going through, but I'm going to acknowledge what's what you are saying. This is who I am. Yeah. Um, and there's hiccups. I have transgender friends where I've go, I had to say, oh, and switch. And, and most, I mean, there are some who get very sensitive about it um, and can react very vehemently. Um even if you're not meaning to, um, but it's usually because of, there's that buildup of all these people doing it against them to harm them, and they think yeah. each attack is going to be, or each instance is an attack as opposed to just a flub. Um, so I've had times where I've, it's hard when you know someone one way, and then you, you know, later on you're like, oh, this is who they truly are, and you go that way. But it, it, it's a, it's a journey in general. I mean, people in even within the LGBT community are struggling with inclusion as well because there's so many people who um, have ideas of, well, bisexual shouldn't really be included, you know, they should pick a side, or, you know, transgender visibility isn't as as well represented. So, I mean, it's cultural, like we were saying. It's a cultural thing. It's a political thing. It's and the it's, Bible. And I think sexuality is so much more complex than mm-hmm. we allow it to be. Mm-hmm. We want it defined male-female. Sexuality is more fluid and and even inside of for lack of a better word and of traditional marriage mm-hmm. there's people who believe in different roles and it what we have to come to an understanding of is if it not that if it works for them then it's okay but there's that fluidity that happens there's change that happens that what works for one couple might not work for another couple and there's mm-hmm. and there's this under there needs to become this understanding that sexuality is more fluid then we want to make it because when we make it in a set definition, 
we we are controlling it, and then we are therefore controlling others. We like black and white. We like knowing what's going to happen, what it is, and I don't have to worry about it because it's not going to change because it's this, yes. only this. It's always this. And it's always this, yes. And that's where, like Dan was talking earlier, that eunuchs get thrown in the Bible, and all of a sudden people are like, well, that's just people who mm-hmm. are castrated, so that's fine. But Yeah, well, in the Old Testament, eunuchs aren't supposed to be able to join the assembly. And then Babylon happens, and Babylon makes a bunch of eunuchs um, to serve in the temple. So, uh, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're eunuchs. Um, Daniel was most likely a eunuch. The Seventh-day Adventist listeners would not like to hear that. Then again, I don't know if they'd listen to a beer and Bible podcast. But anyway, um, Nehemiah, most likely a eunuch. Yep. And... There's an interesting passage where he says something about not being able to go to a certain part of the temple. And my memory's failing me right now. But if you read through the Nehemiah passage, he still, because of his, he believes that the foreigners need to get out and they need to reestablish the law. But here is a most likely eunuch who is trying to build up the assembly of Israel. That he can't be a part of. <laughs> that he shouldn't really be a part of. Yeah. Um, but then everything changes in the New Testament. Um, and there's also passages in the Old Testament that shine favorably on eunuchs. But in the New Testament, a lot of things change, and we don't often give them enough credit for the changes that are happening. And sometimes I think we look at small changes and say that that's the end of the road, whereas seeing it as a stepping stone. Yeah. So there's, there's a, a lot of change just incorporating Gentiles into the church. Um, but then the next question was, well, who else is incorporated? I mean, that's really what the New Testament is all about is, well, let's go to the Jerusalem Council and make our case that Gentiles um, who don't get circumcised can also <laughs> follow Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's really where it started. And then it had to climb from there. All of a sudden, there's stories of eunuchs um, finding Jesus and being baptized. And there's all... There's just so much more to it than just taking those and, clobber verses. And they don't magically not become eunuchs right. after they find Jesus. Yeah, it <laughs> grows like, back. It grows back. It's like, <laughs> wow, thank you, Jesus. No, <laughs> that might have destroyed our clean rating. But yeah. it's because there is that sense of people I have heard in, or know people in the church who, are, who say, well, once they find Jesus, then they'll change. And there's that that constant view of it is it is wrong and immoral. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the inclusion of the scriptures, we have to really take a hard look at ourselves and say, why are we trying to alienate other people? Why are we trying to push people out? And I want the church to become a very inclusive, and I'm talking about the church universal, an inclusive body that doesn't look at, I'll pick on Dan for a moment. You've got gauges in your ears, you got to take them out and they'll go back and then you can be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of if we look at the Genesis narrative of creation that humanity is made in the image of God humanity is made in the image of God and argue with that one then if somebody will <laughs> male and female he created them yes isn't that an allusion to both the Yahweh or the Elohim and earth what isn't that an allusion to Elohim and Earth? No, uh, I mean, the story of Genesis, yes, he did create male and female, but that's 
not to say that everybody else who's been born since then as a hermaphrodite or any stage in between yeah. was not also created by God. And it's also not talking about attraction. Yeah. But we are at 71 minutes. I'm going to ask Danny the hard question. Or do you go ahead? You. No, you can go first. If you had something. No. Okay. I was going to ask her her closing thoughts. So if oh, you have an actual basic. question. Well, I was going to ask what, from your perspective, the idea is not to obviously clobber people to change their minds. Obviously, I, we've talked enough, I think, to understand that we're not here to say Christians have to believe X, Y, and Z. But how can the church move to be more inclusive in the defending of same-sex loving relationships? I think well, a good example of this is with it being Pride Month. Um, I went to my first Pride and it was overwhelming to say the least. Um, but the biggest thing I noticed was there were quite a few churches there. And of course, there was your standard guy with the Bible walking around, letting everybody know where we're going. Um, and but the thing that stood out the most to me was the church group walking around with a big cooler with bottles of water for everybody, just handing them out and just kind of showing that love to others, whether they 100 percent support it or not. Yeah. They're still they're still recognizing you are human. You are God's creation. I'm going to take care of you. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is just taking that. You don't have to do drastic steps, you know, wearing rainbows and running around the streets. Um, but just, you know, finding someone, you know, that, I mean, you don't want to assume. However, um, you do, if you do come to know someone, you know, you can befriend them. You can talk to them. You don't need to be overly uh, enthusiastic. But I think many people, uh, you know, if you come to them with a genuine uh, love and a genuine, um, you know, want to know more about them and know how their life is most people are pretty open to saying yeah i'm yeah. i'll talk with you i'll you know and you can kind of create that relationship from there um it does it doesn't have to be quick you don't have to jump into it right away but it's just you know pray on it you know think about it um you know, again, there's so many resources online that you can check out. So if you're afraid to go somewhere in person, um, you can always go online uh, at first and just kind of get more information from there. And I'm just going to go that way. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, uh, the church that we're here at now does a wonderful job, I think, uh, welcoming people. Um, you know, when we first moved here, I asked local churches, you know, hey, what do you guys think? I got some answers that some weren't the best. Um, and uh, and that kind of, you know, that can be hard to hear, but yeah. I would rather know than not. And so um, I heard Paul squealed and was excited when we were going to come. So that, that made things even better. Yeah, and if you, like, you, you gave us a piece of paper here that has the Pew Research Center mm -hmm. um, doing some research on members of Protestant denominations now more accepting of homosexuality. And I hate to frame it that way because everybody assumes sin. No, this is members of Protestant denominations who are more accepting of people who love each other. Yes. Who happen to be of the same gender. And um, some of them surprised me, the Southern Baptists up to like 30%. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that's a low percentage, but I'm like, ooh, that, that kind of defeats my, even my perspective and, and view of the, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm -hmm. um, and that's up from 23% in 07. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, so yeah, I think we'll give we did give you the closing comment already, I guess. Yes. Dan, anything? Um, I'm just trying to remember. There was a really good podcast from um, Peter Enns mm-hmm. on the Bible for Normal People about the eunuch thing that I brought up. I believe it was the... Is it Matthew Vines? Um, it's either Matthew Vines or there was also a podcast that they did um, in regards to intersex individuals. And oh, that may yeah. have been yeah. the one because um, it was a, a female speaker, I believe, that week. Yep. I can't remember which one it is, but both were really good. Matthew Vines is a good resource for people as well. If if you're listening to the podcast and this is you're in that tension of coming out and part of and being part of the church, Matthew Vines, Google, Amazon, whatever, look that up, take a listen. He is a, a gentleman, and I'm just summarizing from what I remember, that came out of a kind of a Baptist background. And his book, he writes through and challenges all the preconceived ideas that people have of those clobber passages. And it's both him and his dad. I found that if if you want to listen to another podcast in regards to um, that also includes the story of the eunuch. There is um, Megan DeFranza. Uh, episode 19 of the Bible for Normal People, they spoke about the Bible and intersex believers. Uh, and it goes quite in-depth in regards to... Um, you know, how the Bible should view this and how the intersex community is still um, trying to, you know, have their faith and grow um, in community as well. So that's it's a good one to listen to. For me personally, that um, podcast was more valuable to what I needed than the Matthew Vines one, because yeah. the eunuch one is pretty heady. She uses a lot of terminology, goes deep into like some of the Jewish culture and some of their wording. Um, Talks about the multiple views of sex of um, gender identity. Yeah. Yes. The four gender the identities, and, and so. she also does not try to make a strong case that everybody all of a sudden needs to become inclusive. She's just trying to get you to realize that the conversation is more nuanced and more complex than yeah. just saying in or out or yes or no or even male or female. Yeah. So that's what I really took away and. Um, really, I would describe myself as just being open to be changed or open to be shaken. Because um, it's it's a long road to begin to process all of it. And you've got a lot of smart people on both sides making points. And I often feel like I'm caught in the crossfire and you like want to remain part of the one group without getting cast aside into this other group. Yeah. And, so what I hope this podcast was able to do for everybody was start a dialogue that you yeah. can have. This was not meant to change people's minds. It was meant to pique your interest and understanding that there are inclusive Christians out there. There are people who are on their journey to being inclusive. There are people who are questioning what it looks like to be inclusive. And there are Christians who are gay. Yes. Mm-hmm. There are. And they love Jesus. They do. And they graduate from Bible colleges. They graduate from Bible colleges. Yes. And then they go on for the MBAs later on. Yes. So, again, um, thank you for joining us. We are going to describe what we drank before we conclude today. Mm-hmm. Seeing that Dan is on the keto diets and I've had three. He's had one. Yeah, because I was worried that I would die if I had more than one. No, he's carb conscious. Though. Yeah. Lightweight. I have to only have 20 carbs, so pretty much the only beer that I could have that wasn't light 
is Guinness. <laughs> so I'm drinking a Guinness draw stout, and it has the little, um, is that an aerator ball in it? Yeah. Are those popular in England? It's either that or a worm. I'm not sure. Are you responsible for this ball? I'll take blame. There's, I'm a, there's a ping pong ball in my Guinness can. <laughs> but it's pretty good. Um, better than I remember it being. Maybe you're drinking at wor- uh, room temperature, though. Yeah, I am. Okay. I had um, I tried New Belgium's. I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's triple. Tripel. 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 It's a Belgian-style ale. Um, I'm a big fan of New Belgium anyway. It was mm-hmm. good enough to have three in one 80-minute setting. Yeah, those have a very high percentage, Paul. Yeah, I live closer now. <laughs> And Danny. I drank a delightful root beer. (laughs) It is uh, Hank's Genuine Gourmet Diet Root Beer. Um, Very rooty and uh, beerish. I just, I'm not a fan of beer. I have not found one that I like. So I've decided to partake in some root beer tonight. Well, thank you for joining us today. Hopefully it's not the last. Yeah, I'll come back. Um, Hopefully this piques your interest and opens discussion within your church, your family, your own mind as you're laying in bed, in bed staring at the ceiling. Mm-hmm. But this is the Beer and Bible Podcast. This is episode 10. Episode 10. And we will be back soon. We're going yeah. off to see Brian Zand mm-hmm. and the wine and water. Water quad. Final invitation for him to join yeah. us on our podcast while we're there. Yeah. If you randomly listen to this, Brian, we will more than happy record with you. Yeah. But we will see you guys in the next one or listen to you. I'm... We won't see you at all. You'll hear us. We have faces for radio. So see you guys.